Today I'm speaking with Salonia Tedros, better known as Sol. I've known Sol for around seven years. We met in Singapore. She's an American-born, Taiwanese, Ethiopian, who spent time in the US and Asia. Sol identifies as a global citizen, humanist, and change catalyst. Sol is co-founder of the Change School, where she helps individuals, organizations, and communities explore notions of identity, purpose, and impact in order to thrive and succeed. She's been recognized as Asia's 50 Women Leaders for Leadership Excellence by CMO Asia, awarded by the World Training and Development Congress. Sol and I chat about the Change School and her experiences living and working in different countries. I also try a few of my quickfire questions which I'm experimenting with. Not exactly sure they work, so feel free to give feedback if you have any. Sol is based in Portugal, so we did this via Skype. The sound isn't great, but hopefully you still enjoy the conversation. Here's my chat with Sol. Good afternoon, Sol. Welcome to the podcast. Or should I say good morning, actually? I'm obviously on Chiang Mai time here, but morning for you, yeah? Good morning for me, exactly. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning in sunny Portugal, yeah? Sunny, normally sunny. Today is actually a bit gray, but normally, yes, Lisbon is, is sunny and we've had some really nice weather lately. So, Awesome. I've no, I've, I think I went when I was a kid many years ago, but um, yeah, not, not a place I've visited, but certainly a place that seems to be becoming more and more popular with, with people working in, in different remote areas. And we, we've got a guy on our board that works out of there and then works out of Thailand. It seems to be growing in popularity for one reason or another. So, No, definitely. I think it's, um, it's definitely starting to attract a lot of the digital nomads of the world. Um, and also because of the ease of getting a visa to the EU when you invest in property here, we're starting to get a lot of um, new Airbnb type of owners and then uh, remote workers and online business owners. So, yeah, lots happening. Super exciting. Cool. And very different to Singapore, of course, which is yes. where we met. I'm trying to, I think we've probably known each other about six years. And um, I forget, you know, you and I were kind of brainstorming a business idea that we nearly went forward with at one point, And then we both went in our, our separate ways professionally, but stayed friends. But um, I, it must have been around that same time that you went off and started the change school, right? When was the change school started? How long, how long ago was that? let's see we I guess we officially started at the end of 2014 we did a soft launch at South by Southwest and then we officially started end 2014 and I think you and I met maybe a year or two before that because we were both impact hub right yeah Uh, that's what got us kicked off and then citizen G (laughs) citizen G of course (laughs) So tell us about the Change School. I obviously on the intro have said a, a little bit, but um, I, I'd like us to, to talk a little bit about the Change School. Not so much the mechanics of it, but really, I mean, very broadly the mechanics, but, you know, really the motivation and, and what the, the ethos has all been about in terms of you and um, you and Grace starting, you know, that starting the Change School. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we always say that the Change School was really born of our own sort of 
personal experience and challenges that we were facing um, at a really sort of pivotal moment in our own lives. So Grace and I uh, went to school together in Singapore in middle school. So we call each other puberty buddies. Um, and um, we, let's see, we were on, oh, we were always on parallel paths. Both our parents were diplomats. So naturally we thought we would be diplomats. Um, we studied, I think, international relations or international business in, in uni and um, we went our separate ways halfway through high school and then we kind of reunited in New York when I was working there and Grace was crashing on my sofa. Uh, and I think something we were struggling with at the time was trying to find our place um, in the world, but specifically in terms of the work we were doing and how do you sort of carve a career path when you're not really sure what direction you want to go into. And I think we both quickly realized that becoming diplomats wasn't necessarily the path we were on. We both ended up in marketing at one point. Um, and then when we decided to move back to Asia, I think this was around 2009, the struggle for both of us was that we had led very unconventional, creative, exploratory careers and being in Asia at that time, we were kind of finding ourselves at a loss because you usually need to sort of fit a more conventional career trajectory. When you get to Asia, you kind of need to pick an industry and, and grow. That was kind of the, the norm at the time. And so we always joke around and say that when you're stuck or when you're at a pivotal moment, unsure of what direction to go, the only two options are to go get an MBA um, and hope that that opens up more opportunities for you or go on a yoga retreat and hope that you find yourself and figure out, you know, what your life purpose is. And I think both are fine options, but for us, they were two options sitting on opposite ends of a spectrum and we were wanting something more holistic. So uh, we really distilled it down to three things that we were looking for. We were looking for an opportunity to learn and, and grow and develop skills, but in a holistic way. So, you know, developing intellectually, physiologically, spiritually, um, rather than having to choose one or the other. Um, so learning was a really critical element. Community was another really critical element. So having a sort of tribe or group of people who are going through a similar experience that you can, you know, share your challenges with, learn from each other, each other with and support each other and keep each other accountable. And the third piece was space, having a space that allowed you to sort of remove yourself from the daily grind, from distractions, from noise, from social conditioning and, you know, a lot of opinions around what is right or wrong for you to do. Um, and having that space that's conducive for reflection and for reconnecting with yourself and understanding your values. So that was really why we created the Change School. We wanted to bring those three elements together. And initially, that happened in the form of um, retreats. Later on, that evolved into public workshops, corporate training. And then in the last two years, it's been more around our online course um, that really helps people to make career shifts or to figure out what direction to take their work and their lives into, um, as well as coaching. So that's kind of the bulk of our work today. 
Cool. And when you talk about retreats, this this is, I mean, you, the word retreat can encompass a lot of things, but you're talking about a retreat that, in, that encompasses most of those things there in terms of getting away, learning new, new ways of doing things, um, disconnecting from old patterns, and then and you know coming out the end of that retreat with a new kind of motivation and focus right this was your i forgot what it was was called it was called well yeah we had different we played with different names um it was change ventures for for a while and actually you came on board right once as an inspirational speaker and and that's exactly it we would invite different speakers um we would have everybody housed in these amazing villas in bali um so you have that retreat feel to it um, so again, borrowing from what people love about these yoga retreats, right, is that is that beautiful environment, that space um, for, you know, relaxing, recharging, reconnecting with yourself, but then also having the learning element from, by inviting different speakers and then also having the element of challenging yourself, right? So we had um, options to do surfing lessons in the morning or um, Muay Thai training or morning meditation and yoga. So sort of trying to combine the best of all worlds so that people have an immersive, holistic experience and really discover a lot of things about themselves through that journey. Yeah, I remember when I, I, can't, I think I came a couple of years ago and I was only there, I was maybe there for two days, but it was definitely an interesting dynamic and I'm still connected, I think, online to a couple of people that were maybe at that, um, yeah. at that event or at that retreat and I've seen... I've forgotten the guy's name, but one guy is now running a motorbike business, I think, if I exactly. remember. Exactly. Yeah, so he went from community manager to um, custom-designed adventure trails on motorbikes in the Philippines. Amazing. What are some? What is there a profile, a person that you that comes on those events, or is it just someone looking for change? And and it's probably two questions really. And you know, do you have any great stories that? come out success stories that have come out of that in terms of you know someone completely changing and and running a a successful business that they always wanted to run yeah I think look I think uh, we evolved you know over the years in terms of how we were identifying the right profile of people and we've also been learning throughout the way so you know the first change ventures was very specific targeted to aspiring entrepreneurs, people who wanted to start impact-driven businesses. And what we learned from running that first retreat was that, well, one, not everybody's always cut out to be an entrepreneur. And two, a lot of the people coming in wanting to start businesses weren't necessarily um, wanting to follow an entrepreneurial path. It was that they were unhappy in their careers and they were unhappy in the roles that they were doing and they were feeling confused and stuck and didn't see an alternative pathway. So at that time, entrepreneurship was, you know, all the rage, especially in Southeast Asia. And I think a lot of people sort of jumped on that thinking that this was the best alternative to, you know, working in a job that you're unhappy with. And so Later on, we almost had to widen the net because we were seeing entrepreneurs wanting to go into corporate or, um, you know, fresh graduates trying to figure out their their first career or having four more corporates wanting to follow an entrepreneurial path. So I guess the change that people were wanting could go in different directions. And for us, it was just really important to understand 
what people's, what an individual's objective or intention for wanting to create a change was and how committed are they to doing the inner work and, in, and self-investing to make it happen. Um, so, you know, out of those different buckets of people, we've had lots of great success stories. And I think even success stories, like I always kind of hesitate there because, you know, we have so many predefined notions of what it means to be successful. Um, for us, the success is, you know, paradigm shifts, right? Are, are our students coming through the school and coming out with a new mindset that is, you know, open to change and doesn't feel afraid of change and understands that change is constant. So success is navigating through change and being unafraid to make mistakes because that's all learning, right? So Borja was the guy you mentioned earlier, oh, right? That was definitely that's right. Yeah, now one I'm success story, right? Um, so as I said, he'd come in sort of um, a bit confused about, you know, what what direction his career was going to go. He was working as a community manager for co-working spaces in Singapore. And, you know, he knew that he was creative, that he liked working with his hands, that he had a passion for motorbikes. And so after coming through Change Ventures and spending three weeks with us, um, he eventually developed this business idea, completely changed his life, moved out of Singapore into the Philippines, um, started, you know, with a minimum viable product. I think he bought two motorbikes, um, Harley Davidson, badass bikes, um, <laughs> and basically, you know, spruced them up, got them up and running and tested, you know, the demand in the market for people who wanted to travel to the Philippines and get this sort of totally personalized, customized adventure trail, um, have the option of renting, you know, these badass bikes and then being led um, through the countryside uh, on motorbikes. And it was a huge success. And I think his business is thriving. I think he's made some pivots along the way. But again, for us, that is success, you know, being able to recognize that sometimes we need to make shifts and changes to our ideas. And that's part of the journey. Um, so that's one story. I mean, we also had, I think, at our second change ventures, we had um, a really senior corporate regional head of a big tech company. Um, she was actually one of our oldest participants and we really commended her for coming into a, a much younger cohort, but she saw the value of being able to learn from you know a group of peers that are less experienced in certain areas, but also uh, very advanced in terms of like how they use digital tools and how they leverage technology today in order to do more and be more. And so I think coming in with that open mind and that curiosity and, um, you know, keenness to learn is what allowed her to really make a lot of big progress during the program. So she came in, she had some ideas about developing a wellness business and, you know, fast forward to today, which is about three years later, she's published a book, she's a wellness coach, um, and she's really thriving. So, you know, success takes time. And we, for us, it's really important to just follow our students' journeys well beyond the program because we don't believe in overnight success. But for us, success is learning and growth continuously. Yeah, I think, I mean, you, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily about the goal, right? I mean, you, we, yeah. we 
we create goals, but ultimately those goals, especially when you're in in the change mode or creating startups or creating a startup, I mean, the, the goal is often not the destination. It's just somewhere in the future that, you know, enables you to keep going and being creative, I think. Totally. And I think even, you know, sometimes when we get too fixated on the goal, it actually becomes a disabler, right? Because yeah, we get sure. so attached to a certain outcome and then that blocks us from being open to getting there in different ways or maybe reshaping the goal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you must have, I, look, I know we both have a lot of interest in, in cultural dynamics, in diversity and I have, you know, I haven't written down loads of questions because we know each other well, but I have a word written down here, which is empathy, um, mm. which we've chatted about before. I think you mentioned it. I think it's kind of the theme maybe of your TEDx talk with, with Grace some a couple of years ago, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but it's it, rather me. I mean, talk to me about empathy. I know that's a broad question, but it's something that you see as important as a, as a teacher. And, you know, how do you see empathy? How important is it? Um, yeah, let me leave it kind of open like that. Yeah. Oh, that is a big one. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. I think, look, I think empathy is without a doubt one of those critical, critical life skills, I think. And it's, it's growing in importance as we become more globalized, more connected, more traveled, right? And I think more and more people today are looking for connection, right? Whether it's in everyday interactions or when you are discovering a new country or city. And I think meaningful connection really starts with empathy, the ability to understand where someone else is coming from, right? The ability to sort of um, immerse yourself in a new environment and be able to pick up on um, how that environment impacts you and, and, and how history and even food and rituals and practices and belief systems, how all of that kind of shape a person's identity, right? So I think empathy allows us to build connection and, and through that process, build trust, right? I think meaningful relationships are based on mutual trust. Um, but you know, something I, from all the reading I've done, there's tons of articles out there around empathy. And I think what's been interesting for me personally, as someone who probably self-identifies as a, um, as an empath, right, a hyper empath in some ways, I think sometimes there can be a, a shadow side of empathy as well. I mean, I think it's possible to be too empathetic, where, you know, you can, be so consumed sometimes by um, how people are feeling or reacting to you, um, how they're understanding what you're saying, that it can almost, what is the word? I don't want to say distract, right? But it almost takes away um, from your ability to just speak your truth and be yourself, right? When you get so consumed or concerned by how other people are responding to you, I feel sometimes it can be a bit challenging. Um, so I think empathy is a really important skill to develop and it can be cultivated, but I also think we have to be mindful um, about creating some healthy boundaries around it. Yeah, I think it's certainly a, I don't know whether skill is the right word, but it's a, a, a condition, if you want to call it that, or an emotion or a a sense that 
they also need to be somewhat detached from at the same as time as being immersed in, if that's even exactly. possible. Exactly. You, you know, if you're immersed in being, um, you know, in developing empathy for another individual or a group or whatever in order, order to help them move forward, if you're too attached to the sense of where they're at, that can often hinder the ability to move forward, exactly. I think. Um, do you think it's a skill that can be taught or do you think people are, I mean, do you think empathy is just something some people have, some don't? I know in my experience, it definitely is, there's a big variation between people in, in terms of, you know, the capacity for, for being empathetic. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think some people definitely um, are, yeah, I guess, born with more empathy as, a, as sort of a characteristic or a personality trait. I do think certain experiences, like how we grow up, how we're nurtured, can definitely influence um, how empathetic we are. But I do also believe it can be developed. Um, taught? I don't know, guided and developed, yes, um, through practice, right, through experience. I think the more we expose ourselves to the unfamiliar, um, and this is how it sort of ties in with embracing change, right, which is definitely one of our, our core ethos at, at the change school. I think, you know, putting yourself in new and unfamiliar situations and being practicing, you know, being open, being curious, and trying to really connect with people and understand what their experience is, how they think, how their experiences have shaped them. I think that allows us to hone empathy, to become more empathetic. Um, but yeah, definitely not something I think you can sort of sit in a classroom and learn from a textbook or be, you know, dictated to about. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, so I, I wanted to just talk about shift slightly and talk about startups in general. You know, the change school, um, I mean, you know, you've, I'm not sure if it's your first startup. I haven't actually asked you that question before, but um, it, had you run startups before getting involved in the change school or was it? Um, I wouldn't say so. I had set up my own sort of boutique consultancy, but that was a sole proprietorship. I was sort of, it was, I guess, the bridge between a freelancing and starting up a business. So yeah. I would see the change school as my first startup. So on that tone, I mean, you know, you, you, starting a business in Singapore, um, you obviously don't have anything to kind of um, gauge that against. But what, what, what was the experience like? You know, going going through that, starting a company, you know, the thing, the challenges, the, the great stuff, the bad stuff, all the difficult stuff, you know, and, and Singapore is a place to do that. Yeah, well, I think, look, I think when we started out in 2014, 2015 in Singapore, it was a really, really exciting time to be doing that. Um, so as I said earlier, I think entrepreneurship was really all the hype and on the rise at the time. Um, the ease of setting up a business was obviously a huge incentive. I mean, you can pop online and basically get it done um, in 10, 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Um, and, and Singapore made that very easy for um, entrepreneurs, which was great. And I know something I was always saying at the time is, you know, the beauty of starting a business in Singapore, for me, it was, it was very much like a white canvas because it is such a small market um, and everything, you know, the ease of doing business, everything was really convenient and just easy to do. It seemed very conducive. It was very conducive for 
starting up. Um, yep. And of course, Grace and I had the added advantage of having gone to school in Singapore, you know, being very, very familiar firsthand with the culture. Um, and Singapore's, you know, extremely diverse, which is obviously a huge plus as well. And we had community, right? So a lot of our um, classmates from school had come back. They were also starting businesses. So naturally having that community uh, allows you to do more um, and and get to places faster. So I think the early years were, were really great. And we took advantage of the best um, the best aspects of Singapore to, that allowed us to start up and test things, right? You can call it's a great test bed. Um, over the years, I think we definitely faced a lot of challenges. Um, I, I guess the, one of the biggest ones worth sharing, which was sort of an ongoing challenge for us was finding that product market fit. Mm. So I think, where we were coming from with the change school, right? Our whole ethos around change being constant, helping people to define their values, navigate change, and then find their purpose. In many ways, it was like really far ahead for the market that we were in. Um, you know, Singapore is a very, uh, I guess, achievement, success-driven type of society. And, you know, at that time, this is evolving now, but at that time, I think there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of value being placed on, you know, uh, taking time out for yourself, right? And really reflecting on your core values and exploring what that means and weaving that into your career um, choices. So it was, it felt a lot of times like it, think our messaging was lost in translation. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we saw such a huge need for what we were offering, right? We were finding more and more people um, feeling dissatisfied, unfulfilled, burnt out in their jobs. And, you know, Grace and I are both half Asian. So we also grew up with a with firsthand understanding of how a lot of Asian cultures can influence how we think. There's a lot of social conditioning around, you know, the traditional path. You study what you're going to get a career in, you get your first job, you slog it out, you climb the ladder, and you just keep going. And what we were seeing was that more and more people, especially in their mid-30s or their mid-career, um, were coming out of it going, okay, I followed the steps, I did what my mom told me or what my school told me, and here I am feeling totally disconnected to the work that I'm doing and unsure of whether or not this is still the right thing for me. So the demand was there, but it really, we really struggled to help people make the connection to the process that we were trying to guide them through and how that was going to translate into success, right? And, yeah. and having to redefine success. So I think product market fit was constantly a challenge for us. You know, when it was the retreats, People struggled to take time out. Um, when it became corporate training, we faced a lot of bureaucratic sort of barriers, right, um, to companies wanting to, quote unquote, change, but also struggling to find the investment, struggling to measure the return on investment, and therefore struggling to really commit. Um, so we faced a lot of challenges. And I think since going online, we've sort of 
partly uh, addressed that challenge by making it more accessible to more people. Um, you know, the online course is self-paced, so it also allows people to move through it as, as feels comfortable for them. Um, but I think we're constantly learning and, and testing different things to see how it can be a better fit to people who are going through change or are feeling uncertain about it um, and, and a bit wary about like whether or not they want to make a big leap, you know? Yeah, it's interesting what you say about Singapore, obviously having lived there for eight or so years. I, uh, it always felt to me like, you know, on one level, you have this real kind of bubbling, creative, um, think outside the box, entrepreneurial aspect to society. But then in the same kind of vein, you also have a very traditional, old school, um, you know, academic, I mean, academic yeah. is broad, but, and I, I don't know, maybe I think my personal theory for that was it's almost like there's been a generation missed there because of the acceleration. You know, when I look at okay. the UK, it, it felt like the people I knew in Singapore, their parents had the same um, kind of thought models as my grandparents. It was like they're the whole generation. So exactly. you had kids who were, I mean, I say kids, I'm talking about my friends. So <laughs> they're not, not kids, but. You know, people in their 30s or whatever when I was there and it's, you know, they very much would be thinking outside the box with parents that were, you know, really saying, you, you know, school, university, doctor, lawyer, you know, there's yes. the kind of the, the top 10 list, right? Engineer, which, yeah, exactly. This seems to be, I don't know if this is a Singapore phenomenon or maybe just around a lot of these countries in Asia that have had incredibly fast um uh, growth in, in in all areas of economy and technology and everything else. So yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's a really interesting dynamic. Um, and like I said, it's changing very quickly now, though. And I mean, it's I always keep a pulse on what's happening in Singapore and the fact that you know you're seeing more and more coaching come up, more career counselors come up. Um, we're celebrating more people who are making career shifts. So I think slowly but surely it is moving in in a more evolved direction which is which is great to see yeah sure i it, this gets me to another little uh acronym i have written down here which is tck mm. uh, which was <laughs> you, you love that one <laughs> i love that acronym i you know i was um i know we talked about it at the time when you ran the conference but you mentioned at the beginning yourself and grace and your backgrounds I, it is an area i'd like to chat about though Maybe just I won't try and explain what a TCK is. Maybe you can. It stands for third, third culture, culture kids. kids, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think when you explained it to me, I felt like one, even though I'm not. But I, maybe, <laughs> maybe I was just lost. I don't know. But maybe you want to just for our listeners explain what a TCK is. <laughs> it annoyed you, I think. <laughs> I want to be part of the TCK club, you know. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, look, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of, of the term either, to be honest, and I think it's quite dated. I mean, it really came from, I think, the 70s or 80s when there was a lot of academic research going into it. And basically, it was the term, probably the latest term, although I think, no, the latest term is probably multiculture kid, so MCK. Um, but essentially, the third culture was in reference to people who had, you know, grown up in a culture or in a society or in countries that were different from that of their parents or that of 
the country they were born in. So, for example, I was born in the U.S. I was only there till the age of nine. My parents, my mom's Taiwanese, my dad's Ethiopian, um, but then I grew up in Singapore. So I'd probably qualify in the multicultural kid uh, zone. Um, but that's really where it came from. And you know, we use the term simply because we had to start somewhere. We had to start with something that at least some people were familiar with.、Um, but I think the term we tend to talk about more is is global citizenship. And and people have some issues with that term as well. I think at the end of the day, what how how I myself and the Change School kind of connect with this idea of global citizenship is simply that. You know, we live in such a globalized and connected world, and I think the days of you know simply defining ourselves in terms of our nationality is is so one-dimensional, and increasingly hardly tells the full story of who we really are. And so I think you know we are shaped by our experiences, and that's. That may start with our early years of、uh, the environment we're in in our early years, but also the the cultural influence and and belief systems of our parents. But then also, if we're moving to different countries and living in different countries,、um, going to international schools, for example, or even not, right? I think the fact that we're exposed to more and more, even just through technology, is really shaping how we define who we are. What we believe in, what our values are, and I think when we look at entrepreneurship as an example or starting up a business, I think you know increasingly we have to think about the world at large and how do we want to make an impact in a bigger way because we can because we have all these digital tools at our fingertips. So I think for us, when we talk about navigating change, embracing change, it's really helping people to understand that you know we do live in such a A culturally rich and diverse global society, and so how do we sort of make the connection between who we are, the changes that happen in us as we grow and as we evolve as individuals, and connect that to the change that's constantly happening around us, so that we have a sort of global view of things, not a myopic view of you know where I am physically or my community being just the people around me. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, it, I mean, it makes sense. It kind of sounds somewhat utopian on one level,、uh, but also unavoidable on another. But the, you know, especially when you look at the role of technology and and breaking down things like borders.、Um, but、yeah. there, there is. I mean, do you think? How do you see the world? Just out of interest. I mean, you know, project yourself thirty years into the future. Do you think we will continue to be become more global in a positive way, or or do you think? You know, it will it will get more tricky because obviously the the backlash of these things is is things like locking down immigration, right? And it, totally, you see this in the U.S. at the moment, where it just it just seems like there is a massive void in the middle, and two sets of people moving as fast as possible in different directions. I mean, that that's maybe an over dramatized view of it, but. Yeah. No, I think you're right, and I think I mean it's so hard to say, right? I mean, I guess in some ways I am quite utopian myself,、um, you know. And I think at the end of the day, if we look to history, I think we have continuously, as a global society, made progress. I think there's always backlash to development, right? There's backlash to technology. There's backlash to to opening up of borders.、Um, so I think it's 
I think in some ways we sort of have to accept that growth and development, one, takes time, and two, is often a process of taking steps forward and steps backward, but recognizing that net-net we are still progressing. At least that's how I see it. Um, so, and I think, you know, you can choose, you can find evidence of both progress and steps backwards all over the world. I mean, if we look at, um, what country is it? I think it's Estonia that now has like a digital nomad visa or passport that they're coming up. I mean, that just speaks to how governments, um, and systems can adapt to what's happening, right? Um, but like you said, if we look at what's happening in the US, we're seeing a bit of regression. So I think both things are always going to be happening. But I guess my view tends to be that as long as we are progressing, it's progress, you know, and, and the two steps backwards, the backlash is always going to be part of that process, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And it's funny, actually, I was in a meeting today and we had a very a little bit of a side conversation on you know the developing world and it's just such a kind of it's actually probably a mislabel misused label now in many cases okay. in this part of the world you know the the developed world versus the developing world because I just don't I mean living in Asia now for some time and and moving around the region and and then and I, of course my view of of the U.S. is is somewhat warped through a lens of. <laughs> you know online and media and everything else but it feels to me like you know I mean in a more developed place in many ways not I don't necessarily mean Thailand but just in this region and totally. yeah, you wonder whether this when this um developing world label will be shifted around or, or just cease to exist you know or everyone yeah, or pulled, maybe, or ever, maybe or everyone recognizes that they're developing <laughs> right yeah maybe um yeah, everyone will become the developing world quite possibly. So you um, you spent some time in the States, right? Where, where you were originally in the U.S. or? Yeah, so born in Boston. I was there till I was nine. Um, and then uh, my parents split. So I went with mom to Taiwan and I was there and then to Singapore. And then when I finished high school in Singapore, I went back to the States. So I went to college at BU. So I was there for about. Uh, I was in college and then working for about eight years. And then I moved to New York and I was there for, I think, four and a half years. Um, so, yeah, I think if I do the math, it's probably a pretty even split, different life chapters. But I've spent, I think, half my life in Asia and half of it in the States, um, which is interesting. Yeah. And what are, you know, what are some of the, I mean, they're the differences that people understand, but what are the, some of the differences you you see and you know are there things that you would love to go back for or are you you know for you it's, it's yeah I mean <laughs> this is such a great question because I think it's something I'm always sort of I mean it speaks to I think my own sometimes internal um, struggle of knowing what's what's really important to me and and what really allows me to thrive so I think there's so many things I love and and don't love about both worlds. You know, I think in the U.S. for me, um, well, let me just speak to, you know, Boston and New York, because I think the U.S. Is, is so different in different places. But I think what I loved um, about Boston and New York was 
you know, there the forward thinkingness, if that's a term, um, of my peers, of the people I worked with, the people around me, particularly in New York, I think that enterprising spirit, you know, they're so bold, they're so um, driven by possibilities, they're unafraid to try things, they're unafraid to fail, um, they're super creative. And I think part of that comes with having this really liberal kind of society and environment and set of values that really champion, you know, uh, working hard towards to achieve dreams. And I think that's really beautiful. That feeds me. And that really allowed me to um, experiment with all kinds of different things in my career and in my own professional growth. So that's something I think is remains to be really, really important for me to have. Um, and I think in some ways, I felt that was lacking for me when I was in um, Asia and in Singapore. However, I think in Asia, um, one of the things I really enjoyed was the cultural diversity, right? I think one of my biggest, I guess, pain points of being in the States, not so much in New York, but probably in other parts of the States was that, and I get it, right? You, you have everything you can possibly need in the States, right? You have access to everything. It's consumerist society. And I think what that does is it tends to make people become so insular, right? A lot of America, I mean, I don't know what the stats are now, but there's a minority of passport holders in America, right? And they yeah, really aren't as curious. I think 5% or something, 7%. Yeah, something yeah. crazy. I mean, that that just boggles my mind, you know? And and you can see it and you can feel it in your interaction sometimes, that curiosity and, and knowledge and experience of the rest of the world really feels to be lacking. Whereas, um, you know, in places like Singapore and even in Taipei and a lot of the cities you go to in Asia, probably the same for you in Thailand, like you just you come across people who, um, you know, are well traveled or even if they can't travel, they're they're curious and, and they've read up or they've met travelers and they take a genuine interest in what's happening outside in the world. And I really love that. Um, that also feeds my soul, you know, and that's something that's really important for me. And and like you said earlier, right, it some of the major cities in Asia are really super hyper developed when it comes to technology, right? And so it's interesting sometimes when I go back to the States, I'm like, in some ways, like you said, it does feel like it's a bit backwards and infrastructure wise, technology wise. So you're kind of like, what's going on here? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think I really struggle because I, I need that liberal society. I need creativity. I need that pulse. I need a bit of grit in my life, um, but at the same time, you know, I need that, I need diversity and I really do resonate with a lot of core Asian values and philosophies that I think um, are, are starting to come back in the Western world, but I'll say in a bit of a superficial way, right, with the whole mindfulness movement. Um, I think at its core, I appreciate it, but the fact that it's turned into this whole, you know, thing um, is a bit, is a bit annoying, really. <laughs> <laughs> I did see, I saw a post, I forget it now, of a pretty famous mindfulness teacher online yesterday out of New York, actually, 
it said something like, please don't take this mindfulness thing and turn it into an achieve, uh, something like an achievement scale or something, you know, because I think that's kind of what's happened, right? It's become, um, totally. it could be the number one at mindfulness. Exactly. Like, it's like, really, of, are we doing this again? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Cool. I, I got a few... Um, they are, we've got about 15 minutes. I tend to do an hour. I've got some quick fire questions. I'm going to do them now because I say quick fire, but they're not like one word answers. And you might, you may go into a bit of detail, which is absolutely cool. But I, I, I mentioned they're quick fire because otherwise it'll seem like I'm kind of asking left field questions. Um, okay. But we'll, we'll go through them and you, you know, you are, you can say, no, I'm not answering that. It's nothing too personal, but just a, a little bit more to kind of provoke um, some interesting stuff. And yeah, we'll, we'll go through those to the end. So. Cool. Um, bit of a broad kind of uh, a big one, first of all. What do you think is most needed in the world today, right now? Oh, man, that is a big one. Um, what's most needed in the world right now? I think, um, I really think that it's, it's, I think people need to take time to reflect on what's really important to them. It's what, I mean, we use the term values at the change school all the time. I mean, people, I think, start rolling their eyes at us because they already expect that we're going to say this. But I mean, it's really what I believe. I think, you know, there is so much opportunity now and we're spoiled for choice, right? In many ways, I feel like in the olden days, things were easier because people didn't have as many choices to make, right? And now we have almost decision fatigue, right? Like, where are we going to go on a week-to-week -week basis? What job or career are we going to choose? Who do I want to have a relationship with? Do I swipe left or right on Tinder? Like, there's so many choices that we're making. And I think the struggle is knowing how to anchor our choices in something that makes sense for ourselves. And I think that comes down to our values. So, you know, rather than being so obsessed with success and achievement and these ideas and ideals that society has kind of created for us, I'd really love the world to start turning more inward to understand, you know, what do they believe? Who are they? What do they stand for? And then how do they manifest that in the world in terms of the way they're creating value, the way they're creating, um, and the way they're making an impact? Very cool. And I just got to say, yeah, like that choice thing is really fascinating, right? Because most of these, there, there are so many things out there now, applications, uh, businesses, you know, focused on providing choice. And you know, these were born out of con creating convenience and ultimately trying to help people to feel more alive and free and enjoying life. And the, the irony somewhat is that there is an element of feeling completely unfree when you have too much choice. <laughs> there will be workshops in the future of teaching people how to lock down choice. <laughs> because, right. yeah. Um, yeah. A book everyone should read or, you know, a book that, you, that you've that you read that, that, yeah, that you feel is, is a great book that everyone should read. Man. You know, I always dread this question because I've just been so awful with reading lately. Like, I, it's just, it's been terrible. I think I've just had so much information overload. It's been really hard for me to sit down and read a book. So what I can share is my most recent read, which was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which we've talked about before. Yeah. Right? Absolutely yeah, love, love him. Um, 
for me, it's like a, a sort of modern take on how to understand Buddhism. Um, and for me, it's like probably the best source of, of self-help. And per- that's my style of self-help and personal development, you know, more so than the others. Um, a book that I have been trying to finish reading for much longer than I'd like to admit is, is it Factual? I need to, I think it's called Factual. And actually, it speaks to something we were talking about earlier. You know, I think it was written by um, a statistics professor. Um, and he basically throws that, he starts the book with a few really interesting questions um, that he raises at like the World Economic Forum every year as well to some of the world's leaders to sort of take a pulse of how people perceive the world in terms of progress, like how, you know, where are we in terms of literacy rates, education, et cetera, et cetera. And what's really interesting is he takes, you know, he presents numbers, stats, et cetera, from, you know, the past 50 or more years to demonstrate that we, most of us tend to assume that the world isn't developing or progressing as much as we'd like to believe. Um, But if we look at the numbers, it's actually showing that net net, we are, we have continuously been making process progress, sorry, across like sustainability, education, literacy, all of it. So for me, I think it was, I mean, I've really been enjoying it, even though I've been reading it really slowly. Um, I've been enjoying it because it's like backup data around my little utopian <laughs> um, dream and vision for the world. You know, I'm happy to see that, like, like we said, while there will always be backlash and regression and steps backwards, I think overall we are still making progress. Um, so that's Factual. a really good one. Yeah, I don't know it, but I will check it out. Factual, you said, yeah? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. If, I feel like I need to double check. My memory is just awful. If you could uh, choose a talent, you don't have what would it be if you could choose to have a be able to do something some kind some kind of talent what would it be oh i think i've i've always call myself like um (laughs) you know like i always i feel really fomo whenever i meet creatives and and look i consider myself a creative but i guess designer um, I've always said I wish I either had like graphic design or interior design or even just some kind of real artistry talent, the ability to paint or draw or sketch, anything like that. I just wish I had that side to complement um, a lot of the things I do. So whether it's, you know, marketing, learning design, um, even just, you know, curating and, and designing spaces um, you know, for example, at retreats or learning environments, I just, I really wish I had a bit of formal design training, I guess, under my belt, which is totally something I could develop now. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something I've always wished I had. Interesting. I never would have picked that, but like you say, it is something you can act, actually kind of get yourself into if you want and That's good. Yeah. Uh, something about yourself that no one ever, no one else ever recognizes or sees. Oh man, that's a really hard one. <laughs> I feel like I'm an open book. <laughs> I think you probably are actually, but uh, much <laughs> like me, but I, I would struggle to answer that question actually as well. It's interesting. It's probably why I wrote it. Yeah, that's really hard. I mean, maybe 
maybe it's that I'm really sensitive. Um, I think sometimes I feel that, yeah, I feel if, you know, if the opportunity comes up or a conversation comes up where we're talking, you know, about feelings or, or fears or insecurities, I think when I do share those things, I find um, even close friends sometimes will kind of look at me and be like, oh, I never realized you were so sensitive. And I'm like, well, hello, yeah. <laughs> I'm an empath, so I'm sensitive. <laughs> nice. If you could ever have dinner, if you had a dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, that's really, really hard. Dead or alive. <laughs> yeah, you're making me feel like I've given you too many hard questions here. Come yeah, you ha- you're really making me think here today, Matt. That's but okay. There's only um, one more, and it's really big, so, that, so we'll, we'll oh. see where we go. God. Okay. Well, I'm going to stick with alive because that's easier. Um, right now and for a while now, I mean, my biggest hero has been Brene Brown. I would give anything to sit down and have dinner with her, actually. She's, she's, just, the, she's, she's my hero. Done, she's the vul- Call to Courage. Yeah, she's the vulnerability. She just had her Netflix special on Call to Courage. Everyone, um, I keep this keeps coming up. I, I got a mate here. He keeps telling you're not me. In fact, he's been on this podcast. He was on one of the first. He keeps saying, "Oh, you must watch this. You must watch this." So, oh, I'm, she's the best. She's the best. Oh, very cool. I will. I will check that out. Yeah, that's my lady. And the final question, just an easy one, simple. You know, simple yes or no question. Life after death, or simply lights out? Oh. I'm going to say life after death. Cool. And do you want to, can you expand on that? I mean, <laughs> no. I, I uh, no, kidding. I'm, I'm not going to hold you to it. but. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, okay, if I'm really honest, it's not something I, I really have thought deep, more deeply about. I think, you know, there was a period of my life where I was really, practicing and studying and immersing myself in Buddhism. And I think, you know, that that kind of comes with the package. <laughs> I definitely believe that your spirit, you know, is something that that lives on. Um, and I just, I guess, a part of me also just can't quite imagine that it's just lights out. Um, so that's as much as I can say, really, like, it's not really embedded in any deep religious belief or anything like that. I just I just believe that, you know, our spirits go on and I don't know what life could possibly look like after death and if it looks the same in a parallel universe or what, but I just, it's not lights out for me. Can't be. Cool. Can't. Cool. And anything, anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to, like me to ask you or that you'd like to chat about before we close off? I mean, not really, Matt. You've kind of covered everything. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I feel like we've covered a lot of turf today. Um, yeah, no, no, it's been great. All right, so yeah, cheers for cheers for joining. It's always uh, you know it'd be much nicer to to be face to face chatting, but um, yeah, it's always, I know. always a little bit more difficult through voice on on Skype, and hopefully the quality's good for our listeners. But um, yeah, I really appreciate you jumping on, and um, you know, I hope everything in Portugal is is as you hoped and and you know everything with the change school is going well yeah thank you thanks for having me and 
um, you know, I, we're going to have our weekly catch-ups anyway, but things so far are progressing. I've landed in Portugal, I'm rebuilding, and I'm trying to see how the change school can show up in a bigger way here. Cool. And if anyone um, wants to get hold of you, what, what's the best way to find out more about you to, to learn about the change school or to talk to you directly if, if that's appropriate? Do you want to kind of leave some contact details or just let people know where to go? Yeah, totally. I'm always happy to connect with people. And I always find that after podcast interviews like this, like I love getting little notes from folks being like, oh, I listened and this is what I resonated with. So um, definitely reach out to me. Probably best way is through my website, saloniatedros.com. Um, I talk a little bit about the change school, the work I do at the change school there. But if you want to, if anyone wanted to know more about the change school, our website is just thechangeschool.com. Cool. Well, thanks again. I'll leave you to your day in Portugal. It's Friday evening here. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll speak again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Maddie. Cheers. See ya.